0: Please stand with me if you are able for the reading of God's word. Today we have a selection of key verses from the Gospel of Mark, starting with Mark 1.1. 1, 1. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark 2.7. Why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Mark 4.39-41. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Mark 827 to 29. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. Mark nine thirty one. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. Mark 10, 43 to 45, but it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 14, 34 to 37. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death, remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Mark 14, 61 to 62. But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the christ the son of the blessed and jesus said i am and you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven this is god's word for us this morning
1: thanks be to god you may be seated thank you helena for uh really that that tour through the book of mark the gospel of mark we'll pick that up here in just a minute gcf exists to glorify god and we do that through gospel-centered worship evangelism discipleship and community I was thinking this past week too that a local church like ours just would not survive long without uh, members such as you, people who love the Lord and love their church and serve in so many different ways, sacrificially uh, most of the time and so we're really grateful, even this morning driving in a couple of uh, reminders of that, uh, as you know uh, our uh, with some snow we uh, the parking lot was was plowed out, but then the some of you may be parked in the the, the sort of the not parking lot. Uh, and, and when I drove in here real early, there were like huge snow beams there and you could not get through. And so I asked a couple of guys if they would just kind of do some donuts in that other. And they were happy to oblige. And uh, one of them, his name's Ryan. R- Ryan Hickok said, Man, That was the most manly thing I've done in a long time. And so, Annie, to you, we say, You are one lucky gal. <laughs> really. So we're thankful for those very practical areas of service, but certainly as we think about some of the other ways that uh, many of you serve, you love the Lord and serve so lavishly. Scripture's real clear that to, uh, to those who serve, that there, there's an honor that is due them. And, uh, and so I want to just call up um, just a couple folks today. Uh, Mike Mosbeck, come on, where's your wife? Okay, I did. This is a surprise. You're not in trouble. Come on up here. <laughs> yeah, such a surprise that, that Lizzie went home. Uh, okay, I. She's she's probably getting coffee. Okay, uh, that's not Lizzie. But hi, Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> nice to see you. Okay, we're we're gonna go again. Listen, so um, I'm gonna wait to maybe we'll just wait a minute. But uh, Mike and Lizzie have served us lavishly here. Uh, both GCF Central and then in the Valley. There's Lizzie. Come on up here. Again, you're not in trouble. Yeah, not at all. And uh, we just wanted to uh, just very publicly say thank you. And uh, you guys have been at GCF for, what, like 17 years? And like 16 and a half of those years, primarily up here on Sundays, using your gifts and talents and abilities. Come on over here, Lizzie. And uh, that, is, that is huge, and we recognize that. So God gives gifts, talents, and abilities to every Christian. Praise God for that. Amen? Amen. And then what a joy that in a local church like ours, this is a a prime avenue where you exercise those gifts. So you guys have honored the Lord, and we have been beneficiaries of that. You have blessed us uh, richly over these many, many years. What many of us don't see, unless you're here like at 7.15 on a Sunday morning, and I remember this at Central, where you had just young, 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 young kids, and uh, these guys would be there because that's when they practice, and they bring their kids. It's almost like you went backpacking for a night. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, and pack and play. We had the little video. We had snacks. I may have eaten a snack or two. Just really good snacks, too, by the way. <laughs> but so they'd set their kids up there so that they could be freed up to practice, uh, and that's a huge sacrifice it, uh, on a winter morning like this, where like that takes some, that takes love. Yeah. So. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I won't repeat that. So <laughs> so we, this is just a small token of our appreciation for your many, many years of service to us. Uh, we are uh, grateful to God for you both. And, and again, uh, music is kind of mainly what we see, but these folks have served in lots of different areas as well. So this is just a start. So can we just show our appreciation to them? I'm just going to pray. Join me as I pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for Mike and Lizzie and, and for their family, Lord. Thanks for bringing them to GCF many, many years ago. Thanks for gifting them. And thank you for the many ways that they have used what you have given them to honor you, to glorify you, and to bless us. And, Lord, we are blessed. And so it's just with joy that, that we can acknowledge them, honor them, and I pray, Lord, that even today you'd bring great encouragement to them. And I pray for all of us, Lord, that this would be an encouragement for us, that as you have gifted each one of us, Lord, that we want to find our spot in your kingdom, we want to find our spot right here as we think about the ministries and the needs here of GCF Valley. So thank you, Lord, for always meeting our need, and thank you again for the Mosbex. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen. Amen. Just before I uh, pray, just a practical note, uh, next Sunday uh, I'll be preaching at GCF Central, which means Pastor Brett will be here. Many of you know Pastor Brett, you will be blessed by him. We're doing just a one-week Christmas pastor swap, uh, and so I will be back here then uh, on the 24th at uh, 10 a.m. We also then have a Christmas Eve service at 5 p.m., and I hope he can join us for both of those. Would you pray uh, with me as we jump in this morning? Our great God and heavenly Father, I pray now that you would speak clearly to us, not just, Lord, so that our eyes would see and that our ears would hear, but in fact that our hearts would be moved, that our hearts would be moved, Lord, away from the things that distract us and even more away from the things that displease you. And that by your spirit, our hearts would be moved towards you to a deeper love and gratitude and understanding of you. Lord, move in us this morning. We can't do this ourselves, so we trust that your spirit, as your spirit has already been moving in our midst this morning, that you will continue to move in each heart here this day Lord, I need you to move in my heart. So be pleased to do that, I pray, and we'll give you all the honor and the praise for that. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Well, this is our last sermon here in the Gospel of Mark, so congratulations, you made it, I made it, we all made it. I'm not going to ask you how many uh, have heard all 60-plus sermons that we've preached here, over the better part of the last two years. And I'm certainly not gonna ask how many of those sermons you actually remember or what parts of those sermons you may remember. Some of you right now are thinking, I can't believe I was two years younger when we started that. (laughs) Whatever the case, thanks for hanging in there. I want you to know not every sermon series will last for 60 plus weeks. In fact, our summer series in the Psalms, that's only gonna be 150 weeks long and it's just gonna take 15 years. So I have good news of great joy for all people this morning. You know, one of the reasons why I wanted to preach through the book of Mark two years ago is because it is the perfect book for people with short attention spans. And that's you, and that is me, and that is all of us. And guess what? Our attention spans are not actually getting better, depending on... I just read a few recent studies with the proliferation of social media and the like, Uh, our our attention spans are not increasing, they are in fact decreasing. One study, I read this last week, uh, had us, human beings, you know what our attention span is? Nine seconds, which is one second more than a goldfish. (laughs) So if sometime this week you're looking at your friend or your son or daughter and you say, what what, what is the problem? It's like you have the, the attention span of a tadpole, you're actually pretty darn close. Now, Mark is a great book for people like us who sometimes have a hard time focusing, who sometimes get easily distracted, who, who are used to breaking news every 15 seconds. Mark moves quickly, doesn't he, from one scene to the next. Oftentimes, he doesn't stop to smell the roses, as we would say. He doesn't stop to give a lot of commentary. He just jumps from this scene to that scene to the next scene. The word immediately features prominently in the Gospel of Mark. Mark uses that word 41 times if you're interested, and I thought this was actually pretty fascinating. The rest of the New Testament writers only use that word 10 times. Mark uses it 41 times in 16 chapters. I think if Mark were alive today and was writing this today, don't you think that one of those other disciples would kind of take him aside and say, Mark, you're, you're kind of going at like warp speed here. Maybe you should be tested for some attention deficiency issues but he's he's kind of there there and everything moves with a sense of urgency and a sense of speed what is most urgent though in the gospel of mark what really catches our attention is the gospel and that ought to catch our attention we need to pay attention to that in fact it is mark's details concerning the person the life the ministry, the death of Jesus Christ that we absolutely must pay attention to. And so since we have spent the better part of the last two years really taking the book of Mark apart, verse by verse, in this last sermon, I want to kind of put it back together. We've looked at the individual parts, and so this morning we're going to take a look really at the whole. And to do that, we're actually going to start at the end, end, of Mark, Mark chapter 16. if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I was thankful for Pastor Dave preaching last week, going right through Mark chapter 16, verse eight. If you have an English Bible, I'm assuming you do, certainly you, you will likely see this at the end of Mark 16 verse eight. You will notice that there are brackets and these words. Some of the earliest manuscripts do not include chapter 16 verses nine through 20. What's going on with that, and why am I not preaching on verses 9 through 20, and is Christmas going to be canceled? (laughs) I can assure you it's not. Let me uh, uh, briefly address these questions. Most scholars don't think that verses 9 through 20 are actually part of the original gospel that Mark wrote. So throughout much of church history, these verses actually were never included. It's called the longer ending of Mark. What happened was as older and better manuscripts were discovered, those verses, verses 9 through 20, came under greater scrutiny, came under greater evaluation. And so today, the overwhelming view of scholars and every Mark commentary that I have on my bookshelf would say this, every one of those agrees that really verses 9 through 20 is not original to Mark. It's a longer ending, not original to him. Now, what do we do with this? To be clear, This is not an issue of uh, orthodoxy, it's not an issue of heresy. So you can be a serious Christian here, and you can believe that there's a longer ending to Mark, verses 9 through 20, if maybe you were at a different church years ago and you had a really good pastor who preached a really great sermon on verses 9 through 20, that's fine, we can absolutely still be friends, that is not a problem. We're not talking here about an important element of the Christian faith. We're not talking about some key doctrine. So it's not like if you include verses 9 through 20, well, yeah, Jesus is king. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. And if not, he's not. That's not it at all. There's nothing inherently problematic or doctrinally problematic with the longer ending of Mark. So I want you to take a deep breath here, rest assured. Our 60-plus sermons leading up to this point, that's not in vain. It was not a waste of time. What's going on here is, is we really have an issue of transmission. It's an issue of transmission. And we need to understand just a little bit here about how we actually got our English Bibles here that we trust, we love, and that we cherish. Most of us don't think too much about this question at all. I mean, we open up our English Bibles, we read, it's the inerrant word of God, it's the trustworthy word of God, we, we love it, and we move on. But with the Bible, we're, we're dealing with translations from Hebrew, the Old Testament, to Aramaic, and then largely in the New Testament to Greek. The Greek Bible did not just suddenly drop from the sky to the apostles, nor do we believe, like Muslims do, that God, Allah, just dictated it. No, the men who wrote the New Testament used their intellect. They used their personality. They used their style. And with the Holy Spirit, wrote it down such that their words then is really the word of God. And so those that wrote it down, they were called scribes. They actually then copied it down, and there's a whole bunch of different manuscripts. Obviously, there were no photocopy machines in the first century. So the way that the word of God was transmitted, written down and passed down was through these scribes. Scribes took their job very, very seriously. They were very, very meticulous. And that is why, brothers and sisters, we have thousands upon thousands of manuscripts, particularly of the New Testament. There are more than 5,500, 5,500, Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. Here's what that means. That means that your Bible, our Bible that we love, is the greatest preserved document of antiquity. And nothing even comes close. Some of you maybe, if you were, particularly if you were English majors, you read uh, Homer, Iliad, Odyssey. I'm not even gonna ask who's read those. But you have, and, and so you, you read, that. it's an ancient document, it's an ancient book, but there are just very few documents that would say, well, yeah, th- this, is, this is Homer's Iliad. There, there's a minuscule amount, and those are even more recent. But nobody really looks at, you don't pick up Homer's Iliad and say, I wonder, did Homer actually write this? I wonder if he did. There, there's not a lot of uh, manuscript evidence to say that he does, but we just sort of go with it. Well, here, as we think about the Bible, no reputable scholar, Christian or otherwise, would argue about the fact that there are There are 5,500 Greek manuscripts, far, thousands more than any other document which would prove the reliability of this word of God. What was God doing? God was providentially preserving the text of the Bible to a stunningly remarkable degree of certainty. So that means that when you open up your word of God, you do your devotions, you search the scriptures... You and I can be absolutely certain and sure that this is indeed the word of God. It is without error. We can bank our lives on it. We can trust it. And it's not going to lead us astray. So my point here is, is with the longer ending in Mark, we have an issue of transmission from the scribes. It's not an issue of inspiration. It's an issue of transmission. And that's why really dating all the way back to the 4th century, the earliest and most reliable manuscripts all have the shorter ending of Mark. So in effect, Mark chapter 16, verse 8 is the end. So Mark's gospel ends with, for they were afraid. Now furthermore, for, furthermore if you take a little deeper dive in, in, in the original language here in verses 9 through 20, there are some stylistic things that are uncommon to Mark. There are words and phrases that you kind of think, that doesn't really sound like Mark, so it probably isn't Mark. Uh, verses 9 through 20 really read as more of a compilation of other texts, other scriptures than original to Mark itself. Some scholars actually believe that the ending of Mark may have been lost. And so this is how ancient scribes actually tried to compensate for that, uh, for such an abrupt ending. And we can't really fault them, can we? I mean, Mark does kind of end abruptly, for they were afraid. And so maybe some of those scribes are like, wait a minute, like, Mark, do you wanna, you want to kind of put a bow on that you want to kind of make that a it seems like you're, you're kind of missing something there so I think it's entirely possible that scribes were familiar they were familiar with this set of verses here they were familiar with this say, sayings over here they were familiar with this text here and yeah that they tried to round out the gospel a little bit and that's why we have verses 9 through 20. I don't think Mark as we've grown to know him and I trust that you have as a person, as a personality, you spend two years with him, you, you kind of feel like he, he's become a friend, get to know him a little bit. I don't think Mark would have a problem at all with such an abrupt ending. I think Mark, if he were here today and preaching today, given what we know about him, I don't think he'd have a problem breaking rules of preaching or breaking rules of public ority. I think he'd, he, he'd just finish with, for they were afraid, and he'd just walk out the door. And we would be thinking, Is he done? Do you think he's going to come back? Because we're kind of hanging here, kind of a cliffhanger for they were afraid. But I actually don't think, I think that actually fits with Mark's personality and with his style. So, all that to say, I'm sticking with the shorter ending of Mark. But again, if you prefer the longer ending, verses 9 through 20, Barry, we can still be friends. (laughs) And Jesus is still good news for every human being. No need to panic, the authority of the Bible is not at stake, it's not in question. If anything, I think it actually shows us that we Christians are not gullible people who just believe anything because it sounds good. When we open up our word, when we read the word of God, we don't shut our brains off. Because we're not goldfish. God has given you and me, he has given every human being a brain to understand complex things like transmission issues dating all the way back to the early centuries. And I actually think the fact that verses 9 through 20 are in our English Bibles and they are bracketed, it shows that we Christians, we're not afraid of science. We're not afraid of evidence. We want to evaluate everything. We want to Uh, We want to understand, we want to study, we want to apply our brains, all our faculties to a deep dive in understanding the Word of God, and we want to honestly acknowledge when there are areas of concern. So no need to worry, no need to be afraid if a month from now, or six months from now, or 30 years from now, some shepherd boy or archaeologist finds some little bit of fragment that appears to be dated to early centuries, and Of course, that becomes breaking news because it might contradict some of scripture and then suddenly, the breaking news is there's been this fragment that has been discovered. What are we gonna do about that? You know what we're gonna do about that? Nothing. Because if it contradicts some bit of scripture, it means it's not scripture. And so we ought to devote our continued time and energy to what we do know. What has has stood the test of time and what will endure which is the very word of God that we have in front of us. So the book of Mark ends in verse eight, for they were afraid. And that seems about right. That actually makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? You would be afraid too if you saw an angel, an empty tomb, and a resurrected Jesus. We'd all be afraid. So that's why I think Mark ends it right there. So that's the end of the book. Now let's go back to the beginning. The book of Mark answers two vitally important questions for us. If we we look at this, the view from 35,000 feet, Mark asks and then he answers two absolutely crucial, vital questions. The first question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And the second question Why did he come? Why did he come? Now, Mark answers the first question, takes him eight chapters, verses one through eight. And the second question takes the rest of the book, verses, or chapters nine through 16. That's really how he divides up his book. To the first question, who is this Jesus? Right from the very beginning of this book, Mark makes clear his intention and his focus. This is what he's writing about, verse one. The beginning of of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Gospel literally means good news. And usually when you and I think about good news, we think about something good that has happened. We, we get a new job. We book tickets and we're going on our uh, dream vacation. We, we have a date night with our spouse or we have a quiet evening at home with a friend or we uh, get a... Get AirPods for Christmas, or an air fryer, or the Leafs win the Stanley Cup. That would be. <laughs> and all God's people said, amen. <laughs> yes. I mean, that is, that would all be good news. Here, Mark says, the good news is actually not when something happens. It's, it's actually about a person. It's when someone comes. So the good news is actually about a person in other words, and Mark says that person is Jesus Christ. Now Christ is not the last name for Jesus. Christ, Greek, it means anointed one, in other words, Messiah and king. To, to put it bluntly, Christ is, is the job description. This is what Jesus is called to do. He is called to be the Christ, the king, the Messiah. God has sent him into the world for that mission and for that purpose. So right from the very beginning, Mark highlights, here's what Jesus is going to do. Now think for a moment this week, if, if you got a, a letter from the most powerful person on the planet... I'll let you decide who you think that is. He or she sends you a letter. The most powerful, most important person on the planet says, hey, I'm going to come to your house this Thursday at two. Some of you might faint. But probably you would say, wow, okay, it's Sunday. I got a lot of work to do to prepare for Thursday at two. And so you would Probably tidy up the house as much as you could. Maybe you shoot some text to your friends. Maybe you say, can you take some photos? Uh, you're probably going to shower that day. You're going to try and do everything you can, right, to prepare. You're going to clear your schedule because the most important person in the world is coming to your house Thursday at 2. You would prepare, in other words. Now, Jesus, of course, is, is of far greater importance than the most powerful person or the most important person in the world. He's, he's king of heaven and earth. And so from the very first verse here, Mark is saying, I'm going to tell you how it all starts. I'm going to tell you about Jesus Christ, the true king, God's anointed son. I'm going to tell you the story of his life and his ministry, and then eventually his death. So you need to prepare. You need to plan and prepare. And so for the first eight chapters of Mark... Jesus's identity as the true king is both revealed and it is confirmed. And his identity as the true king is revealed and confirmed not so much through his teaching, which is unique to Mark. His identity as king is revealed and confirmed much more through his actions. In other words, through his miracles. Who can say To the leper, be clean. And immediately, Mark says, the leprosy is removed. Only Jesus can do that, the true king. Who can say to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home? Can you do that? I can't. None of us can. Only Jesus, the Christ, Who's the one that can speak into the middle of that raging storm who has the power to rebuke the wind and the seas and who actually says to the raging wind and seas, peace be still and the seas and the wind obey? I can't do that. You can't do that either. None of us can. And Mark says, you're right. It's him. Jesus can do that. He's the true king. He's the only one who can do that. So you you want to follow him. You, You want to have ears to hear him. You want to see him. You want to listen to him. Because he's a king like no other. So who is Jesus? He is the true king. God's Messiah. The very son of God. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, we just need to be reminded of important truths like that. And we need to hear these truths again and again and again until we actually believe it. Until it actually makes an impression in our lives and in our hearts. We, we need to hear again and again and again that Jesus is the true king. Why? Because sometimes it's really hard for, for us to believe that Jesus is the true king when our lives don't go as planned. When maybe it's some bit of hardship, some bit of suffering, There's some trial that we're facing. But when it's really hard to believe that, sometimes it's really hard to believe that Jesus is a true king, when our plan A for our lives that we meticulously wrote down and told everybody about, well, now we're on plan G? Or maybe we've stopped counting the letters of the alphabet. We all struggle from time to time. We sin, we are sinned against, we have sufferings. Our lives don't often go as planned, and our days don't go as we wish. And you know what happens then? Our lives can get really, really complicated, really fast. So here's, perhaps this is a bit of breaking news this morning. None of us do complicated well. We're actually not created to. Because we human beings, by God's design, his perfect design, are actually created to be simple. We are created by God in his image to be dependent on God for all things. And in fact, that's the only way that we can live. The, the, if we are to try and live well and flourish in this earthly life, it means that we absolutely have to be dependent on him for all things. That means We need to listen to him. We need to surrender to him. And the more that we are independent, the more that we subtly or not so subtly choose our own way, go our own way, declare independence, oftentimes the more complicated and hard our lives get. So yeah, our marriage is not what we envisioned. There's a, a struggle with a child. That is real. There's, there's, no jo- there's no joy in the job anymore. Friends, we, we might have a few. Loneliness, a lot. That's Monday, that's Thursday, that's Saturday. And it can get really complicated, especially this time of year. Perhaps as you approach this Christmas season, some of you, uh, you might tend to avoid other people because you know they're coming at you and they're gonna ask you, what are your great Christmas plans? And you know that whatever they got going on is far better than what paltry things you have going on and so please just don't even ask me. In fact, you may even be a little bit embarrassed, embarrassed about Jesus, even around Christmas. Because you actually believe that he's the true king. You actually believe that he is God come down to earth, God in the flesh and your family member or friends or certainly colleagues at work, they don't actually believe that at all and so you might even resist and shrink back from even declaring that. When life gets complicated and certainly when life gets hard and it does, we simply need to hear again and again this, this very simple truth that our king has come. And our king has come to lead us, and to sustain us, and to preserve us, to help us. So that's essentially what Mark says from the very beginning. Mark says, why don't you take another look at Jesus? And, and maybe linger this time. Take a longer look at Jesus, especially when you and I and We are tempted to see only what is right in front of us. We are tempted to follow our feelings wherever they may go. Mark says, hold on, that's not all there is. That's not all there is to see. You need to see your king who is ruling and reigning in the daily grind of life. So Mark reminds us. This is one of the joys of studying a book from beginning to end. Mark reminds us of this reality. He reminds us of what is true. And even more of who is true. And you dare not miss him. You don't want to miss this Christmas. The true king. You don't want to miss how the Lord is continuing to be faithful to you. And work in your life. Who's right in front of you. Yes, who is answering prayers. Prayers that you haven't even prayed. You don't want to miss how the Lord is giving grace. And sustaining you. And providing for you. And delivering on his promise to watch over you and to fill you with eternal hope. Powers of this world, yep, they're going to come and they're going to go. Governments will rise, governments will fall. Jesus remains the true king. So in response we say, well, that's, that's the kind of king that I need. That's the kind of king that I can entrust my life to and my family to. That's the kind of king that if I follow him, it's going to be okay he's not going to lead me right off the cliff or he's not going to point me back to myself. He's going to say, come to me, trust me, follow me. Jesus is the kind of king that you don't want to hold anything back from. In fact, it would be foolish to resist him. Jesus is the kind of king where it would be wrong to say, you know what, Lord? In 2024, I'm going to get this Christianity thing dialed in. So you're just kind of waiting for the calendar to turn from December 31st to January 1st. And when all the the good habits kick in, you're going to say, I'm going to take the gospel so seriously. I'm going to renew my commitment here. I know there's lots of things I should have been doing, but I'm going to do that, Lord. 2024, this is going to be a year of great spiritual uh, revival and awakening in my soul. No, it's not. Unless you first bend the knee. him. Unless you absolutely submit to him. Unless you actually first acknowledge that, Lord, I'm not doing a great job of being king of my life. I'm not doing a great job of being queen. And so I'm moving out. And would you please take over? Then there's actually a lot of hope. Who is Jesus? That's the first question Mark answers. The second question, why did Jesus come? And this takes us really through the end of the book, chapters 9 through 16. And really, Mark zooms in on really just that last week of the earthly life of Jesus. And so we read, starting in verse 9, in fact, or chapter 9, three times in chapter 9, Jesus says to his disciples, I I, I just want to tell you, here's what's going to happen. Mark chapter 9, verse 31. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. Even more succinct is Mark's statement here in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. I mean, Jesus says, for even the Son of Man came. Here's why he came. Not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Why did Jesus come? Mark's answer? Jesus came to be rejected, to be killed, and then to rise again. And Mark's gospel, really from the very beginning, is full of rejection. It's full of rejection. Tax collectors and sinners are rejected by the religious elite, Mark 2. Remember Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus? Jesus heals him, he's rejected by the crowd, chapter 10. A man healed of demon possession is rejected, chapter 5. John the Baptist, way back in chapter 6, he's rejected and he's killed. Jesus' followers are promised rejection, rejection, Mark 13. Really, and the climax of Mark's gospel is, in fact, the very rejection of Jesus Christ, the true king. The religious and the irreligious join forces all to reject him. His own family rejects him. And then repeatedly, after warning his disciples that they too will face impending rejection, Jesus goes to the cross where he is forsaken, not just by human authorities, not just by those who crucified him, but Jesus is rejected by his heavenly Father, Mark chapter 15. God the Father did not save Jesus as he hung dying on the cross. So when we experience the sting of rejection, that that comes because we're seeking to be a faithful disciple of Jesus, because we're following Jesus, Well, we're not walking down a road that our Savior has not already gone. So there is great comfort in that. We have an advocate, we share in his sufferings. But the truth is, brothers and sisters, and this is what Mark makes clear the greatest moral evil in the world, and just let that land, there are a lot of moral evils in this evil world. The greatest moral evil in this world is our rejection of God. It's called sin. So when you and I choose anything above or outside of Jesus Christ for happiness, for contentment, for some bit of comfort, when we choose to go our own way, We reject God. We had a great conversation. I thought it was a great conversation this morning with with the junior hires and high schoolers. We're talking about idols and the cravings that we all have and how that leads to conflict. And that can actually lead to conflict at Christmas of all times. Most of us, we all like to think about Christmas of love, joy, peace, right? That's great. Hope, wonderful, amen and amen, we should. But you know what? You can... You and I can sin big time at Christmas. We can absolutely reject God. You can go to every Christmas party around. You can eat as much Christmas food as you want. You can give and receive innumerable gifts, and you can do all that and still reject God. So, when we choose anything else, even at Christmas time, for happiness, for contentment, for comfort, when we choose to go our own way, we reject God. And so, so Mark says, look, From the very beginning. Here's the point of the whole Bible. Here's the point of the whole history of Israel. Here's the point of the Gospel of Mark. Here's the point of Jesus coming to earth. Why? For the forgiveness of our sins. Mark chapter one, verse four. That's why the book of Mark is, is in our Bibles. Because the book of Mark shows us what God the Father decided to do when you and I turn our backs on him. He sent his own beloved son on the cross. And on the cross, God the Father turned his back on his beloved Son so that repentant sinners could know God, could be restored to a right relationship with God. So, what that means then is that Jesus Christ came. He came because of our fickleness, our mess, our inconsistency, our anger. Our lack of discipline, our arrogance, our selfishness, our apathy, our lack of self-control. I mean, that's the point. Christ came not to call the righteous, but Christ came, Mark chapter 2, verse 17, to call sinners. And if you're still tracking here, and I hope you are, but if you just sort of woke up and I have nine seconds to get your attention, can you please listen for nine seconds? If you can get behind the fact that you are a sinner in need of salvation and that God, through Christ, gives you everything that you need in order to be saved, then you have hope. His death and resurrection takes us to the very heart of the gospel. His death and resurrection opens the door To God's kingdom. Jesus is the king who came, yes, to be rejected, killed, and to rise again. He's the king who will die for sinners like us. He'll die for the sins of his people. And having defeated sin, death, and Satan, victoriously, he rose again. And so our victory then is because we are united to him by faith. His victory becomes ours. So... What's a fitting response then as we close the book of Mark out this morning? How do we respond to what Mark has revealed and shown us here? Probably the very simplest way to answer that is to say, well, we ought to worship Jesus. But you already knew that, didn't you? But that is the point of every sermon. All the 60-plus sermons in the book of Mark, that is exactly the point that we would know Jesus, that we would see him for who he really is, that we would see him as the very son of God, the king, the Messiah, the only true God, and yes, that it would be our greatest joy and our treasure when we get up in the morning and when we go to bed at night, that we want to worship him. That would be a good takeaway. But let me get a little bit more specific here. I think we're called to two things. In response, number one, related to what I just said, we are called to believe in Jesus Christ. We're called to trust him that he has done everything needed, everything that we need in order to give us a place in his kingdom. But do you actually believe that? Do you actually believe that Jesus has done everything you need in order to find a spot and a place in his kingdom maybe you're here this morning and you live with sort of that gnawing sense that you're just never doing enough somehow you got to wake up and prove yourself you got to prove to god that he didn't make a mistake in saving you you got to work hard that somehow you that's the way that you're going to work your way into god's presence it is by what you do and you may be here this morning and just real honestly say, you know what? If I were God, if I could see everything that he sees, and if I were to look into my life this last week, I wouldn't let me into his kingdom. I'd kick me out. Those are the sorts of prayers that we ought to pray. Honest, sincere, bold. You don't pray prayers like that unless you actually believe that he is king. So I want to encourage you to pray those sorts of prayers. But the truth is, some of you may be still tugging at the veil from the bottom. And what you really need to hear is that God has torn it from the top. So it's not about what you do to prove yourself or to perform, to get in, to be in God's good graces. That's not the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus has done what you and I could never do. God the Father has torn the veil that separates sinners from him. It's his work. Salvation is his gift. Through the death of Jesus on the cross, his atoning death, sinless life, and his glorious resurrection from the dead, you then and I have new life. And that is good news. So can you say this morning, Lord, I believe that out of all the other mixed cultural baggage and issues and things that we're supposed to believe and things that kind of pseudo-Christianity and pseudo-Gospels, and they are out there, as you know. Sometimes we just need to hear the very clear teaching of the Word of God. What must you do to be saved? Repent and believe in Christ. So do you believe? We're actually called to believe in Christ and if you say, yeah, I do believe, then it means then that you cannot believe in maybe some of the things that you have been believing in. You're not trusting in your good name, or your family's good name, or your good grades, or your good job, or your good, and you can fill in the blank. No, it means I am banking my life on Jesus Christ. Second, we're not only called to believe, but we're called then, and, and then we're equipped to share the gospel. We're actually called to share this good news. In other words, this good news that Mark talks about, that we've talked about, that's not just for us. That's not just for the in crowd. That's for every human being. And so we are called and equipped to share this good news. We're really called and equipped to share the love of Christ. But we have to be convinced, first of all, that God actually loves us. We're not gonna share that love if we're not, or if we're not getting it. So if you're unsure this morning of God's love for you, my sincere exhortation to you is to start in Mark 1 and just work your way all the way to verse 16, verse 8. Just read. Pay particularly close attention to the cross. Because that's how that's how we know. That God absolutely loves us. He's the King of glory. He came to be rejected, killed, rise again to purchase your very salvation while you and I were actively sinning against Him. Christ died for us. It's the good news of the gospel. That, is, that actually is the, the hope that we have, isn't it? And that's the hope that we have to share. That, that is, in fact, the real joy of Christmas. What is it that people around you, your family members, your friends, your neighbors, what is it that you need? What, what do I need this Christmas? It's really not another white elephant gift exchange. And it's not more Christmas cookies. We need hope. We need hope. The hope that comes from knowing and personally experiencing God's love for us. I was texting with a friend of mine this last week, just catching up with him. He doesn't live anywhere near here talking about Christmas plans, and I just said, hey, well, what do you got going on? What are you and family doing? And he said, you know, we're kinda laying low, a couple days off of work, but then he said, you know what, if I'm being real honest, uh, I'm not really excited about anything, I, I just want to get through. And I don't think my friend's alone. I just want to get through. My friend needs the kind of hope that's not tied to just a few days off of work or eating food or just another gift exchange. He actually needs to know the love of Christ for him so that he would entrust every minute of every day, including everything that happens at Christmas, into the hands of a wise, sovereign God. The gospel, the love of Christ is good news for every human being. It's good news in a world that desperately needs that kind of good news. So I can guarantee you this, brothers and sisters, in the next two weeks, God is going to give every last one of us here an opportunity, an open door to share the love of Christ with someone. He would love to answer that prayer. If you're not, if you're not maybe sure who that might be, that's okay. You can just say, Lord, give me an openness, make me ready, give me words. And trust him, he will answer that prayer. And I think Mark would say, yeah, go for it. See what the Lord will do. See how the Lord might show up as you seek to be faithful and share the love of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the book of Mark. Thank you, God, for its truth Thank you for these many weeks, years of just laboring under it, seeking to glean your truth from it. Lord, I I pray that none of the lessons that we are to learn would be lost on us, but, but even more, Lord, I pray that even this day, this week, that you would give us much grace as we seek to be faithful disciples. Help us, Lord, to live differently this week than we did last week. We need your grace to do that. Thank you that you are generous with your grace. You're not stingy. And we're reminded of that during this season, that you are the God who loves to be generous with your kindness, with your mercy, with your compassion. So, God, out of great gratitude and love to you, I pray that we would live holy lives, pleasing lives, that we would be the first in our families to repent of our sins, to acknowledge our great need, and in all things, Lord, that you would receive the glory. Help us to do this, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.